This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. Today I have with me a special guest, Warren Kramer, from a manager from Wurzboro Airport in the Caskill Mountains in New York. A uh, really beautiful area up in Sullivan County. That's uh, It's gorgeous out there. Warren is an experienced glider instructor and has been involved in aviation for decades. Before we get started, though, I've got a few announcements. First of all, the February 2019 version of the uh, Aviation Aerospace Scholarships Guide is available online. We've updated and verified 62 scholarships this month. So that's the value of actually getting the scholarships guide. We update it every month. And remember, it's only $10 and gives you access to a whole year, including those monthly updates online. I know we have it in the iBook store. We also have it in the uh, Amazon Kindle. But it's a great idea to go online and get this. It comes as a PDF file. And there's a couple other things we do online. and te- teach you a little bit about how to get scholarships, and we're trying to add some more videos there. Uh, and don't forget, uh, use the coupon codes to save money on any of the products and services out there. So check the Facebook page. Also sign up for the newsletter to get those coupons. That's on everything. Our current coupon code is SHAMROCK. Uh, and that's actually for my birthday on St. Patrick's Day coming up, March 17th. Use that coupon code SHAMROCK. It gives you 15% off all products and services. Uh, we do that. We're starting to do the, the coupons continually for those listeners that actually look at our Facebook page and that type of thing. Find out more at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash courses. You can find the scholarships, you know, the, the career coaching, and other technical courses online. And we are developing new courses right now. Some of these courses take like six months to a year. We have an ACS course coming up, and we have a couple other authors that are actually uh, putting out some of those guides, some people with some really good subject matter expertise. Anyway, let's get started on our episode, and I want to welcome somebody to the podcast that I've uh, spoken to in the past, has actually written into the podcast, and that's uh, Warren Kramer from Wurtsboro Airport in the Catskill Mountains. Hey, Warren, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Carl, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, this is awesome because you've done so many things in aviation. I know we're going to focus on you know managing a small airport, uh, and we're going to also talk a little bit about the glider instructor, that type of thing. Uh, but we kind of want to kick it off with with managing a small airport. And uh, but before we do that, um, you know, how does someone get to where you are? Maybe kind of tell us a, a little bit of a story as as how you you come to manage a, an airport of of you know a small airport because that's not not an easy thing to get into. You must have a, a certain unique connection to that airport. Yeah, um, I think that um, maybe like. A lot of things in life. It wasn't exactly what I set out, planned to do. Um, but my story is uh, I was interested in aviation from a young age, and I was very fortunate that my father is a flight instructor. So I was able to start learning with him uh, early and uh, first in gliders, then uh, progressing to single engine airplanes, and uh, proceeded to get my private, my commercial, and eventually my flight instructor rating for gliders. And uh, after getting out of college, I got a degree in European studies, go figure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And uh, I was looking for just another uh, part-time summer job. I had done, uh, worked as a glider instructor in the summers uh, during college and figured, okay, well, one step at a time, let me find another uh, summer position as a glider instructor, and then I'll figure it out from there, right? Uh, at least get me through this summer. And I was just fortunate that the airport, Wurtsboro Airport, where uh, I landed a job, that uh, they were also looking for someone more than just the summer season to help out uh, for most of the year doing not only glider instruction, but it's uh, essentially a small FBO type operation there and needed help with other types of things around the airport too. So um, managed to get into a neat little job there. And after a couple years, uh, the previous manager was moving on in his career to something else. And there I was. So I was at the right place at the right time to become the new manager of Wurtsboro Airport. 
interesting thing about airport managers in general, it seems to me, is it seems there's this lineage of airport managers. I see that here in Lakeland and at other airports is that uh, a lot of people get into it because of somebody else, uh, like you know your father or a relative or a friend, and they take you under their wing. It's almost like an internship, like you did. You did this this job that you didn't think was going to turn into being an airport manager, but you do. You learn a lot of of about the airport management through the process of actually working at the airport. There's other people that go the other route who study management, airport management. They're looking to get in to manage like a, a different airport, like a bigger airport, et cetera. But there's so many cool opportunities at some of the smaller airports. And it's, uh, it's, I think it's probably very rewarding from the people that I know that do manage a, a smaller airport. But what are, you know, as far as you're concerned, what are some of the things that you think people need to have as far as talents are concerned? Uh, to be a good airport manager, especially at, at a smaller airport where it seems like you're, you know, balancing all these spinning plates at the same time. Uh, right. Um, that's a good question because obviously I didn't come into it studying management, um, wasn't studying up on spreadsheets and accounting software, um, how to manage uh, employees. I didn't have any uh, formal education in that. I came at it from the side of uh, a pilot who was liked airports and liked flying um, and kind of fell into it. So uh, what I would say um, is you, you'd learn a lot on the job, right? I think that probably a lot of people would say that about their jobs, right? Well, I came into this and, you know, uh, maybe this wasn't my exact area of expertise, or I, even if something I studied for, you learn a lot in that first six months, year on the job, right? Uh, right. Whatever that job might be. Um, so uh, what I can tell you from my experience, what uh, kind of what has been the skills that you would need, um, you need to be good at uh, multitasking. Um, and also really what uh, I find was the maybe one of the biggest challenge is setting priorities, deciding, uh, what is, uh, what's the most important thing, where to expend your energy and effort, um, on any given day, hour. Um, because like you said, a lot of spinning plates in the air, uh, you come in on a Monday morning to a small airport and, uh, Wurtsboro, the job there we're essentially the whole operation. So not only is it uh, managing an airport and you know collecting hangar rent, uh, doing maintenance, cutting grass, upkeep, that kind of thing, um, but we also are the FBO. And our main uh, attraction there is doing glider rides, but also we offer uh, aircraft rental, uh, tows to private glider owners, instruction. So you come in on a Monday morning and you got to set uh, your priority. And that can be tough because... It can be easy to uh, go down a rabbit hole, get lost in a certain task, whatever that might be. You know, you're going to set up a new uh, advertising campaign, for example, and you spend hours going down the hole on that task, and then your two o'clock student shows up, and oh my gosh, I'm not, you know, I forgot to. This guy was coming today. I got to get prepared and run out and go do this, or. Um, you know, that's just one example. Um, trying to, uh, you really got to be effective with uh, managing your time and setting those priorities, I would say. So, and those are things you have to do in, in just about any managerial job. It's just uh, one of the differences, though, at a, at a small airport, and I think a lot of people don't realize this, is that uh, it's just like a small restaurant. You are the dishwasher. You're the person that cuts the grass. I mean, you know, who does that at your airport? Who cuts your grass? Who who actually is the person that opens up the gate and that type of thing? Right. We're uh, I I do all those things uh, from time to time. Uh, that's the answer. Um, we're only two full time salaried employees at um, uh, at Wurtsboro. The airport is privately owned, but it's open to the public, and we also have a number of part-time employees and contractors that we work with. So certainly those employees uh, you, you bring in to do those those other jobs, but you have to be a bit of a jack of all trades. And any job that's done on the airport 
um, certainly you got to be able to do it because uh, sometimes it's just you there and you got to, even if you don't know how to, uh, you got to figure out how to uh, fix that hangar door that's not closing or whatever that task might be. Yeah, it's a great way. It's a great challenge and it's a great way to get you ready for other things in life. And so a lot of folks that I talk to as far as airport management, they talk about starting off at a small airport. And I honestly, I think it's a great idea because even though you don't do everything, say you have a contractor that mows along, et cetera, but you, you truly do get to know everything about the airport and managing that airport before moving on. And I think there are some, some benefits to doing that, to actually learning all those, those things about a small airport. And I understand things are different when the scale gets bigger, uh, but they're just, uh, they're just more contractors and, and more employees. Uh, but I think there's there's really something that, you know, people ask me this, is it good to go work at a small airport before I jump into a larger airport? And I would say yes. I was wondering, you know, what your feelings are, Warren. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, That's fun. I mean, those things that I just listed, um, that's a challenge, but that's also a big part of the appeal for me and I know for uh, other my other coworkers um, at the airport and people in sim- who work in similar situations, yeah, it's not going to get uh, repetitive because uh, one day you're focused on uh, dealing with customers, you're doing some rides, you're doing instruction, you're working on that, uh, putting together that new ad or email that's going to go out. And then the next day you get to go, um, you know, right now is a good example. It's February up here in New York. I've been spending a lot of time out on the tractor plowing snow off the runway. Um it's fun. You get to do something uh, a little different each day. You're not just doing the same uh, monotonous routine. I think there's a big appeal to that. So if somebody was interested in doing like just a, like a smaller airport like you're doing as far as managing, uh, what are the things you, you actually like the best? I mean, what's, what's the coolest thing about your job? Well, for me, um, I'm a pilot and a flight instructor first. And so that's my favorite part of it. Uh, my usual answer I give people when they ask me that question is the best part about it is you get to hang out at an airport all the time, right? <laughs> um, you know, you uh, I'm sure you feel the same way, uh, Carl, right on your days off. What do pilots like to do? They like to go hang, hang out, out at airports, watch the planes come and go. Uh, even better if you bump into some other pilots and you get to ask them what kind of plane do you fly? And then you start hearing, uh, sharing stories about flying. So, yeah, the best part about the job is you get uh, paid to, to hang out in an airport full time and hang out with pilots and watch planes come and go and, and go fly. So that's uh, the big appeal uh, for me. Of course, I think like any job, there's the, the paperwork aspects and the uh, the jobs, the rainy day jobs that uh, don't have as much appeal. But uh, I think it balances out pretty well. So I think some people don't realize, too, that there's uh – there's a lot of opportunities career-wise at some of the smaller airports. It's, uh, but it seems, though, to me, and I, I wonder what you think, is it seems you really have to network quite a bit to get into those type of jobs. They're almost like the corporate jobs, whereas some of the larger facilities, uh, larger airports like a Tampa International or a Newark is going to advertise for the jobs. And it seems that these that I've seen in the past are usually through word of mouth. Right. That's My, uh, my story is certainly kind of being in the right place at the right time and uh, making connections. Uh, that's definitely true. Um, so uh, my advice to that end uh, to anyone is uh, go be that uh, person who goes out and uh, gets involved and be proactive and make those uh, connections. Uh, if you show up at an airport with uh, enthusiasm and positive energy, I think that goes a long way. So how about other careers? I mean, there's the airport management, and uh, you said there's like two full-time people. Do you do you kind of share that uh, responsibility, or do, is there other jobs at a smaller airport besides just being the manager? Yeah, right now um, we have uh, the, the two full-time positions are myself, and we also have an office manager, um, and they handle – uh, a lot more of the uh, the bookkeeping, which has been a great help to me, um, because at times that can, you know, especially during our busy season in the summer when we're doing a lot of flying, that can get a little bit overwhelming to make sure you stay in on top of, you know, getting the hangar rent bills out on time and paying bills and um, taking care of all that. So that's been a huge help. Um, in the past, we've also had a full time mechanic on staff at the airport. Uh, we're in a little different configuration 
right now, the past year or so. Um, but that was how we were set up prior, um, was having a full-time mechanic. So, uh, and he was definitely, um, working, you know, the experience for him was being a small airport mechanic, which is, you know, totally different from being a, you know, corporate aviation or airline or, uh, type mechanic. Uh, he shared in a lot of those got to be a jack of all trade kind of experiences too, because he would, uh, be working on an aircraft and then, Hey, we need help. We need you to come out and do a couple toes, uh, for the gliders, or we need you to, we need someone to cut the grass today. So how about if someone's thinking about doing this, you know, there's other opportunities, obviously at an airport. It's really cool. One thing I love about small airports is, is it's just, you feel like you're a part of a family. And, uh, you know, you all know each other and you have that family inner family strife, too, of course. Um, but I think the one thing people are, are thinking, too, is like, well, how can I can I make a career out of uh, working at a, at a smaller airport? Is, uh, I don't know if you know this, but what what are the differences maybe in pay? Maybe you can kind of give us some color there as far as a small or a larger airport. Sure. Um, uh, so, so speaking from my experience, um we're and the way uh, our airport works is it's not just the management of an airport, but also we're kind of like running an FBO or you imagine it's similar to when you go into uh, your flight school and we're booking students and that kind of thing, too. Um, and um, what I would say is I I've definitely met people who are more on the um, even at even at smaller airport level. On the management side, um, there's an airport right down the road from us, which is uh, a municipally owned. It's a town airport. So the manager there, uh, he works for the town, and he's not um, – I don't know if he even uh, – certainly not as part of his job. He's not doing any flying. He's more just focused on uh, the upkeep of the hangars, um, Collecting hangar rent, making sure the fuel system is uh, working correctly. A lot, a lot more to do with keeping the infrastructure of the airport itself up and running, and anything kind of pertaining to that. Um, and then uh, a part of what I do is um, more similar to someone, you know, that the person there answering the phones at the front desk of the flight school, right? Um, and I think, you know, I'm sure from your experience and plenty of the listeners probably too um what exactly what you're talking about it, it's a um it can be a great small kind of family experience and um what i would say too is uh i think those kind of positions uh can be an excellent way to get into uh aviation uh because what i've seen is and it's probably you know probably has been said on the podcast before but uh, in any type of flying, I would guess airline to a uh, small airport like us, uh, just as important as the pilot is all the staff that is behind the scenes. Um, you know, having uh, a good scheduler, someone answering the phones and scheduling the students, arranging when the uh, staff is going to be there and what instructors are going to cover which day, that's hugely important. And, and I think that um, that's something that would probably be a great way for someone to potentially, you know, get started in aviation. Uh, if you have good, uh, management skills and organization skills, uh, that could be a great way to get your foot in the door at an FBO or a small airport, because, um, even if you're not any, you have no real aviation experience and you think, well, what, what do I have to offer? Um, if you can come in tomorrow and help me out with uh, QuickBooks or, um, you know, just helping me keep the, uh, you know, a good, good ground crew at a glider operation is really essential to keeping things moving quickly. And the, the quicker we move, uh, the more revenue the operation makes. So uh, people like that um, who are, you know, behind the scenes who are never um, even, you know, going up in the plane, doing the actual flying is hugely important to the operation. So you talk about doing a lot of these things, and while you were saying this, 
if you remember a while back, we talked about, got a lot of feedback and uh, stuck Mike Avcast about, you know, is your airport aviation friendly? <laughs> and one of the skills I think that's important, uh, and you can uh, expand on this, is the fact that you have to be customer service oriented. You can, That can be trained or sometimes it, it comes natural to some people. Um, but uh, I think that's incredibly important for the business because I, I think a lot of times, especially at a smaller airport, the airport manager can make a huge, huge difference in the revenue for that airport. I was wondering what you thought. Definitely. I remember listening along that podcast a little while ago, and it reminded me of um, a neighboring airport we have, which um, there's no, uh, because there's no real kind of FBO or there's no real public face to interact with. I mean, you, you drive to the parking lot of that airport and you're greeted with a combination lock code fence. And the most you can do is kind of sit there in the parking lot and look through the chain link fence at the airplanes. Um, there's no there's no front desk. There's no welcoming door to walk through. Um, and that's for me is if uh, we, we, you got to present that you have to be you have to present that uh, welcoming experience. I mean, to the point where uh, if people are. Um, out there in the parking lot and they're in the car and I see them kind of looking out the window. Um, I'll run out and talk to them in the parking lot, try to uh, drag them out of the car and get them into the office and give them a brochure and give them the whole uh, rundown about how instruction works and why they should try take a ride today. Um, or even just um, something as simple as uh, if a parent is there with their young kids, bring them right out uh, through the fence and let the kids sit in the airplane and something like that. Uh, that goes a long way. Um, you know, you can obviously from a from a business point of view, yeah, that you could potentially um, from gain a customer. Uh, but I think that uh, more than just looking at it from a purely business point of view, uh, if you want to go into uh, running an FBO or being at a small airport, you should be that kind of personality that you know, if you if you can't wait to tell someone about flying and how cool it is and why they should try it, then uh, that's going to go a long way. That's awesome. I think that's some great advice. And you know, I I think that working at a smaller airport is important because of that. And that's that's the only thing that I, I was going to put in my interjection as a as an opinion. I really think everybody should work at a small airport and realize how important is the interaction with people because. Uh, you go to a bigger airport, and you sometimes feel like you get away from that, and you shouldn't. I think that should permeate throughout your whole career. And if you look at some of the more successful airports out there that have gotten bigger, it, many times that's run by somebody who understands that, is that you have to press the flesh. You have to be out there with the people and interact with the customers and understand how important that customer service is. Uh, and that's something that you can glean from from working at a small airport, and you can, work, you can learn so much. That's what I feel. Definitely. But now with the the management type of thing uh, in the airports, a smaller airport, as far as pay, I know there's uh, you are a smaller business, et cetera. Do you know maybe either range or percentage-wise how much uh, – I know people that are listening want to go into the big international airports, and some are like, eh, no, I just want to stay in a smaller airport. Uh, what would be some of the differences there in the pay, do you think? Um, that's a good question. And I think that, uh, it could really, um, it could really range, uh, some, you know, and I would, I would say on the low end, if you're maybe, uh, um, you know, working at a part-time or a lot of, uh, operations, especially up here in the Northeast are very seasonal. So they might be very busy for three or four, five months of the year, and then it gets very quiet. So, um, and it could really range if you're working in the private or uh, public job too. Um, uh, I remember um, at least you know a couple years ago, I just happened to you know see that there was um, another municipal airport, a little bit larger, uh, in the um, northeast that had you know seeking uh, airport manager, and um, I think the starting salary for that was. I want to say somewhere around seventy or eighty thousand, um, and you know, obviously, they were their requisite was some 
prior experience, but um, that was maybe like a mid-size, something like a class delta-sized airport or maybe a little smaller. Um, uh, it, it could really range. And then I'm sure um, that would be – I would you know, love to hear uh, an interview with um, – what it's like for someone who works in, you know, management of operations at LaGuardia or JFK, that's going to be a completely <laughs> different, uh, a completely different perspective. Um, uh, so maybe I would say as starting as kind of to try and give an approximate number for a base starting pay, um, small airport FBO type of operation, uh, in the Northeast, um, maybe 40 or 50,000, somewhere in that range. Okay. That's fair, and uh, but there is the room to grow too as you get more responsibility. Right, right, and um, I think like you mentioned uh, prior, uh, it's going to be a trade-off, right? Uh, if I had uh, pursued that um, hypothetical, you know, job I was just talking about from several years ago, uh, for me, um, maybe that the, uh, the salary would have been more appealing, but the trade-off might be that. Um, I'm not getting to spend as much time out there flying planes and even driving the tractor um, and that kind of stuff. Maybe I'd be stuck uh, in an office for uh, most of the time. I don't know. And that could be appealing to some, obviously, that uh, are really excited about the management side of it and don't want to downplay that at all. But uh, when you're in a smaller airport, you do get your you get your hands dirty sometimes, and I think that's really, really cool. So, uh, well, you know, this has been pretty interesting. Is there any? I want to kind of switch gears in a second, but before we go on to the next topic, uh, as far as anything else, as far as small airport management, is there anything that people should consider uh, when they're thinking about a career, looking at um, airport management and the difference between the small or the large and, and you know, basically – why would someone, just to sum up, why would someone consider a small airport manager job? I think if um, you got a passion for flying um, and just passion for aviation in general, being around planes, uh, you're gonna, you could find a way to make that a very enjoyable job just because of the nature that it, uh, you know, you're in contact with um, aviation and uh, pilots and other people who are, who are enthusiastic about the same kind of things on a daily basis. And I think that, uh, show, you know, having enthusiasm and positive energy, uh, for it. Um, I mean, that's really all I had when I was coming into it. And I, I figured out a lot of the specifics of how to do certain tasks or, or do this or do that along the way. Um, so I think if I could pull it off, um, certainly, um, anyone could, if you come into it with some enthusiasm for aviation and drive and you like, you know, if you like hanging out at an airport, like we all do, then why not? Um, I think it could work for you. <laughs> That's awesome. And yes, it's a, it sounds like an awesome job to be able to hang out in front of airplanes all day. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in this, by the way, and you're listening, don't forget, send us a message at, uh, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. And we'll send that along uh, to Warren. He can answer those questions, and we'll even read some of those answers on here and possibly have Warren on again. Uh, but we're going to shift a little bit here on the career side of things. Uh, you're also a very active and a very experienced glider instructor. Uh, one of the things that people ask me about is gliding. And uh, we're going to take this from a couple of angles here. The glider instructor is a career. There's a lot of people that do this as, uh, and it turns out being a business a lot of times. But there are people that do this uh, full time as a glider pilot and as a career. But there's uh, there is that opportunity, and the challenges are different in different parts of the country. So maybe you could speak a little bit towards that, and uh, you know, knowing people that have a glider instructor as a career, um, you know, what are, what are some of the the benefits and challenges of being a glider instructor? Okay, sure. Um, yeah, uh, it's there's yeah probably you know um, there's not a lot of people uh, the population wise when you compare it to how many uh, power or airplane instructors there are in the country there's probably not nearly as many um, who are uh, working full time anyway as a glider instructor but there are plenty um, it seems that uh, most of them who are doing it year-round, uh, follow the warmer weather, right? So places like uh, California, Arizona, Florida definitely uh, are places that 
the weather certainly lends it uh, to it um, year round. Uh, we are technically open all year round up here in the Northeast, um, but I can tell you that um, uh, it gets a little quiet here. Um, December through uh, March. Uh, there's not nearly as many people, I can't imagine why, uh, calling up to uh, <laughs> go ride in an unheated, uh, fairly uh, ventilated um, glider in January in uh, New York State. So uh, it definitely seems to be that most of uh, uh, the people who are doing it full-time are in warmer locations. That's that's one aspect of it. It certainly can be done up here uh, in a colder climate. Um a lot of people doing, uh, working full-time, running a glider, FBO, flight school uh, as a full-time business, a lot of them are, they're their own, uh, def- they're their own business. There's not, um, if you think of those big, uh, bigger commercial flight schools that we're all familiar with the names uh, around the country, uh, you won't really find something quite like that for gliders. It's much more smaller, uh, individual places, uh, you know, quote unquote, kind of mom and pop operations. A lot of them are more entrepreneurial. Uh, someone decided they were going to start up a glider business and, uh, found their location. In some cases they might be located at, um, an airport. Sometimes they, uh, they are the airport. They own the airport and they have the whole, um, the whole operation. So, it's uh, it's definitely it's definitely doable, um, but there's it's a smaller kind of niche thing. If that answers the question, yeah, no, that that's very interesting, and and it does answer it. And uh, one of the things, though, I I think that people don't realize is even if you're thinking of a career moving on, flying, say for the airlines, uh, gliding, being a glider pilot is really, I think, a wonderful thing to do. And, and by the way, he, he actually mentioned something that glider pilots say a lot, and they call us, the people that fly the airplanes with the engines in it, powered pilots, you know, so <laughs> it, right. it, you don't hear that term very often, uh, except in the glider world. So I, I consider myself a power pilot, even though I've flown gliders, but don't have my rating yet. Uh, it's it's interesting to hear the vernacular and stuff like that and, and the way that they, they term things, but one of the things I think is really important is for people to realize that having a glider uh, rating really enhances your career in two different ways. So first of all, let's talk a little bit as far as uh, the airplane itself and flying it. Uh, it is an aircraft, and you're flying an airplane. So what are some of the things that you find that will help people in flying in general in their career as far as becoming a glider pilot? Yeah, well, uh, whatever kind of career you're going on to um – it's. I think it's a great way to uh, either start learning in. I mean, in my honest opinion, uh, if I was uh, going to bring someone from the ground up and they said, how should I go about uh, learning to fly? And I know um, sometimes reading some of the flying magazines, you see debates about, um, oh, maybe you know you should start with a tail dragger, start with a little J3, or no, you should start right with a Cessna, and should it be, you know, uh, in a controlled airport or, you know, what's the best way to start to get those first flying experiences? In my opinion, um, and of course I'm biased, the best way to start is in uh, gliders. Um, and the big uh, uh, reason, you know, for that is uh, you keep it really, you keep things really simple and it puts a lot of emphasis on just doing the basics really well. Um, you know, pitch controlling airspeed, uh, coordinated flight, right? Um, uh, in an airplane, to be keeping the ball centered, but in a glider, we have a yaw string because we don't have prop wash. Um, using the right amount of uh, stick and rudder together to fly uh, coordinated all the time. So uh, I think that if you, whatever you want to go on to fly, um, in w- getting some glider time, either at the beginning of your flight training. Uh, or later, it's a it's a great way to really um, brush up um, and get really good stick and rudder skills. Um, get those those fundamentals down. I mean, I know from uh, my own experience when I was younger, uh, the first time I got into start doing airplane training after I had been doing uh, glider training, uh, it was a little overwhelming because now 
Uh, I got this big panel in front of me. I'm looking at all these, oh my gosh, all these instruments and radios and GPS. Um, I got to wear this big headset. That's a kind of cool thing about gliders. We don't have to wear headsets because <laughs> there's no engine noise. Um, uh, and it, it felt a little overwhelming. Um, whereas in the glider, you just um, typically, you're just uh, airspeed, altitude and vertical speed. Um, and then for the rest, just look out the window. Without headsets, you can you can hear when the glider is going faster or slower just by the the sound of the air rushing by the canopy. Um, so um, that's my uh, you know of course uh, big uh, push for why anyone should should do uh, some glider training is it's just going to make you a great uh, stick and rudder pilot, um, at whatever you eventually you know go on to do. So uh, if you don't mind me putting my two cents in here, I think one of the great reasons to become a, a glider pilot as far as someone going to the airlines is two things. Number one is energy management. Boy, I tell you, in a glider, you learn energy management really well uh, because there's really no go-arounds, are there? <laughs> That's right. Yep. You got to get it right the first time. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is that sense of this kinesthetic sense, but also using your ears to understand what's going on in the airplane. Interestingly enough, when you start flying, especially in a jet, a much bigger jet, you really don't hear the engines that much. Uh, and uh, especially you know, on takeoff, obviously. But as you get into a bigger plane, you're way out front. So the, the air noise, you start hearing things. You know when you're slowing down, that type of thing. And you start feeling things a, a little bit in a bigger plane that you, uh, as glider pilots, you're already attuned to. Uh, and, and that's hearing that. The, uh, and that's really important. The other thing that I think is, is really, really cool about beginning a glider rating, and a lot of folks are listening to this right now, and you're, say, you're 14 years old, uh, you know, you can actually become a student pilot in a glider as a 14-year-old. Isn't that right, Warren? Yeah, that's right. Um, there's a lot of uh, pilots out there who soloed when they were 14 or even on their 14th birthday. And uh, you can also go on to get your private at 16, which is a year earlier than you could get your private in uh, airplanes. So you're out there flying, and all the, you're getting this experience in an airplane, which I think is really, really cool. I mean, you're flying an aircraft, and you're you're learning all these things. There's some other things you have to learn in a powered aircraft, like you mentioned. I'm glad you said that. That was really good to talk about that. Uh, but just just remember this: there's not only that. If you're thinking of getting into this, into flying, it's also less expensive. And you really, if you're good, you can stay up there for a long, long time and gain hours. Um, but there's a lot of other things out there. There's tons of scholarships out there through uh, the Soaring Society of America, SSA. And, and actually, uh, we were supposed to put those in the scholarships guide, and we didn't yet. So actually, that's the next thing we're putting in there because there are a ton of scholarships out there. And I will say my experience with the scholarships uh, it has been terrific to see some of these young people, especially at uh, at Sun and Fun, that have gotten these scholarships or through the Arthur Godfrey Foundation and all these different foundations that have been able to finally get into an airplane. They're chomping at the bit, and here they go, 14 years old. They're able to solo and get up in an aircraft and start building hours. And uh, I, as a matter of fact, uh, you probably would know a little bit more about the Soaring Society of America, SSA. So maybe, Warren, you can tell us a little bit about that, and you may even have, you probably have more knowledge on the uh, scholarships that have available. Um, yeah, that's, um, the SSA is the Soaring Society of America, uh, kind of the equivalent of what the uh, AOPA, the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association is, uh, except for gliders. And, um, they do. If you if you go on their page, I think Carl's going to put it in the show notes. Um, you just go to about the SSA, and there's a section called Youth and Scholarships, and they list out all the different scholarships that are offered through the Soaring Society of America there. And um, yeah, just the other day, I think I forwarded it to you. Uh, it was pretty cool. They got this announcement of an additional uh, four scholarships that are brand new uh, for this year. Um, someone made a donation to the Soaring Society of America to have these additional scholarships. So um, there's definitely a, a lot of opportunities there. Um, um, and I, yeah, can't wait to see them in the scholarships guide. Um, to to kind of go um, a step further with what you were saying there about um, 
access uh, and affordability, especially for younger pilots, people starting out. Now, don't get me wrong, I, um, soaring uh, can be a very affordable hobby uh, when compared to other types of flying uh, for anyone. Um, if you find uh, a good soaring club where the members are, you know, working together to break down some of the costs and responsibilities and duties of the club. Um, the costs can get very reasonable uh, for anyone, but especially most uh, soaring clubs out there. And that's another um, link on the Soaring Society of America website is it's right on their homepage. Just click where to fly and that'll bring up an, an interactive map of the United States and you can find your nearest club or commercial operation where you can fly gliders at. Um, most uh, clubs have uh, very um, affordable rates for junior members. Um, if you're, again, it comes back to what kind of was talking about in the airport manager segment. If you're showing um, energy, enthusiasm, uh, coming out to the airport and you're ready to uh, pitch in and help out, that's going to go a long way um, because that's kind of what um, glider clubs are. Uh, kind of by the nature of gliding, um, it's something, you know, just moving the gliders around on the ground, uh, getting them hooked up by the rope to the tow plane, putting them away at the end of the day. It's a little bit of a labor-intensive thing. Um, it's not quite as easy as just taxiing to the parking spot or taxi when you want to go take off and you're done, right? It's um, It helps to have um, extra sets of hands. So, um, yeah, it's definitely to any um, younger listener, um, and I would say, you know, you can – you can solo at 14, right? So 12, 13 years old, um, you can be out there starting your training. Go out, find that um, club near you, and uh, be willing to, uh, you know, um, you know, make, <laughs> use, uh, you know, elbow your way in there a little bit. Um, I think that's what it takes in some of these situations. And again, it's, I feel like we're referring back to that, um, uh, that other uh, stuck mic avcast where you said, um, how, you know, how does that airport feel when you first walk up and, um, you know, are you feeling kind of cut off or, um, can you, uh, can you, you know, get your way in the door and get involved? Um, you know, put, uh, I would just encourage anyone put in a little effort and if the, you know, the first place doesn't work out, try again. Um, you know, get your, uh, almost, you know, be insistent, put your foot in the door, um, and get involved because, uh, some of these, um, glider operations that um the costs of learning to fly as a young person are very reasonable and it's a great way to to start out i you know can't emphasize that enough yeah i think i agree wholeheartedly now with the gliding though now let's look at uh, from another perspective okay someone's interested now they're younger they want to get into flying as a career but you know what? They don't. They want to use soaring as something that'll build their experience, but also be something fun. But they want to go on and and fly bigger airplanes. To do that, they uh, they want to fly jets. Uh, so now they have to become a you know a commercial pilot and then become an airline transport pilot and go on to the airlines. There's some challenges there if you focus on on just soaring alone, but. But just remember, this is this is flight time, right? That they're going to get, and this counts towards that ATP. Right. So the ATP, the big um, number, that 1,500 hours, you know, I think it's become so, um, you know, like a daunting number for so many people, right? Um, that's total time. So um, and you can – total time is glider time, right? Total time is helicopter time. Um, that time will count. Now, a certain uh, minimum of that has to be uh, fixed-wing uh, aircraft, but uh, a huge portion of that time counts. Um, absolutely. So now that's towards your total time. Now let's look at some of the challenges. Now you know you're you're a glider pilot, and if you wanted to go on to get your ATP, there you'd have to build some hours. So what are some of the things to think about if you're you're looking along those lines using your glider hours? Um, so you mean, uh, making the, the transition yeah, into airplane? Yeah, yeah. Making that transition. Right. Um, uh, it's, you're going to find it, um, I, from my experience, uh, any glider pilot who's want to make the transition to airplanes, um, it's, it's come very easily because 
it's you all those um, and again remember it's a um, it's a fixed wing aircraft all those fundamentals are the same I mean it's not that simple but in a way um, you know you're adding an engine you're adding some more complexity with the instrumentation um, and the avionics um, but you know when you have that really you know core fundamentals of flying the plane that you've gotten from uh, your glider experience you're going to have no problem making the uh, the transition um, to a powered aircraft, um, to use that term again. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and, and also another um, most, and it, it happens pretty, as a pretty normal progression that happens uh, who, to pilots who are flying regularly at their local glider club or commercial operation, is we got to get those gliders up in the air somehow, right? So the most common method in the United States is a tow plane uh, using... Um, a lot of times you see a Piper Pawnee or Cessna Bird Dog or Super Cub, something like that. Um, uh, but we use Cessnas as well. So if you um, make the effort to go get your private airplane uh, license or your commercial, even better, um, you're going to be that much more the uh, the hero of the of the club, and they're going you're going to be riding the tow plane, building hours that way. So the other challenge to doing the glider, and believe me, it's a great way to build hours, and it's great for energy management, is at some point you also have to think about um, moving towards getting some instrument time because you're going to have to do some of that when you're flying for the airline. So um, one of the, the, I guess a little bit of a caution I'd say if you're going to go towards the powered flying is to make sure you get some instrument time before so you go to the airlines because that is a challenge. Uh, once you get there to the airlines, uh, because you you really you really do need to have some of that instrument time and instrument flying time. So so make sure you make that part of your journey is what I'm trying to tell you is make sure that you go out and get some IFR time and some instrument time before you move on there. But uh, anyway, gosh, this uh, Warren, this has been awesome. Uh, is there anything else as far as considerations as far as gliding, et cetera. I know we're going to have a bunch of links at the bottom of the, of the show notes. There's a whole bunch of them and, and take a look at those. But, um, you know, as far as getting money to fly, uh, this is a very, a less expensive route. Um, and we didn't actually mention that. So maybe that's one thing we do have to mention before we go about, you know, the cost of maybe getting your glider, uh, rating, how much would that cost somebody for the, say they're private? Um, it's going to depend a lot, but at a typical, uh, commercial operation, it I'd say somewhere between on the low end. If you're starting from scratch, no prior experience, um, maybe six or seven thousand, um, and maybe up to ten or twelve, uh, depending. Um, for again, going back to um, uh, the club type, which there's certainly pros and cons to clubs versus commercial operations. Um, but if, if if it was me today, and I'm 13, 14 years old, 16 years old, um, I would, and I'm trying to do it affordably, I'm going to find that nearby uh, soaring club. And I've seen junior members at soaring club go from start to private for as little as $1,000, $1,500 maybe. And that's through your private license. Wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> wow. Uh, so you're really you're looking at uh, you know an opportunity also after you have your license to go up and and fly and they at a very inexpensive cost. So again, the 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 cost is usually the tow and that's oh we didn't go over that but real quickly, you know how does that work uh, as far as the cost of getting in the air? Okay, so once um, if you're a uh, licensed glider pilot and now you're just let's say you're coming out just to fly for fun at the airport on a nice um soaring day uh yeah so why are those costs lower particularly once you're like with um flying uh, airplane training as well the the training costs are expensive and definitely once you now get your license and you're just out there renting the cost is going to go down right away because you don't have to pay for that instructor to be there um well think about from a glider perspective You've got to get launched, so you got to pay the the money. Usually, it's around fifty dollars or so for the tow behind the tow plane to get you up. Um, but now, if you can find, and that's a whole other topic, soaring. But if you can find the rising air, thermals, ridge lift, etc., and you can stay up, um, you're not burning any gas, you're not putting wear and tear on an engine. Um, the hourly cost gets very low with gliders. Um, think about the inspection. Uh, you're just 
uh, doing an airframe inspection uh, at the at the time when it comes time for annual. You're servicing all the push rods and cables and making everything sure everything looks good. Um, you know, I'm sure you know from experience. Uh, once the mechanic gets into the engine and oh, we got low compression on this cylinder, and actually you need to replace that spark plug or whatever it is. I mean, that's um, where a big cost of um, uh, with uh, powered flying comes in is that uh, that big engine up front. So, um, yeah, it's it, the hourly cost can get quite uh, can get very reasonable the longer and the more you fly gliders. Yeah, that's for sure. And if you have, uh, you don't have to worry about prop strikes either, uh, so <laughs> because there's no propeller. But uh, boy, I tell that's you right. what, we we could talk for hours about this. As a matter of fact, at some point in the future, we're going to definitely have you on to uh, stuck my gavcast to just talk about uh, that side of things, the recreational flyer, etc. But I need to you know stress to people that this is a great way to build time. And if you're younger and you want to get started, why not just go ahead and get your glider rating? Uh, uh, it's a great way to learn energy management. It's a great way to get into an airplane early and start building that 1,500 hours so that you can move on to the uh, airlines at 1,500 hours. Well, gosh, you know, uh, Warren, this has been great talking both about small airport management and also, you know, being a, a glider instructor and also how gliding can increase uh, your career and increase your skills for a career in aviation. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get a ton of questions. So feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, I'm sure, Warren, you won't mind uh, answering those questions if we forward those to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, send them to me. And don't forget, too, in the show notes, I know we have a bunch of stuff down there. Please go visit Wurtsboro Airport and uh, look at their website. We'll have a link there because uh, they do the glider rides there. I've flown over a bunch of times. I've never actually landed there. It's near where I learned how to fly, and it's uh, it's a beautiful area up in, in New York in the Catskills, and uh, don't forget to look at the Soaring Society of America and the links we'll have there. We're going to start putting more of those into uh, the, the scholarships guide, and I've got some cool YouTube videos out there and some really neat information. Check out, too, uh, one of the things that I really like is the museum there's the soaring museums in new york uh it's actually in elmira uh, new york near a place called harris hill and uh actually married into the harris family but that's another story to uh for another discussion but it's really uh really cool there's a lot of history that goes back uh, many many years and uh, it's really something that's a lot of fun to look at is the soaring because that's something that uh people do for many many years in their life i notice in the soaring uh, you find a lot of folks that are a little bit older still doing it, and there's many different places you can go throughout the country. SSA.org is a great way to find that information. Warren, once again, Warren, I really appreciate your coming on. I hope you'll come back again. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Carl. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I've, you know, if you're listening right now and you do have questions, don't forget feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Don't forget to also use a coupon there if you want to get some discounts on all of our courses online and, of course, the scholarships guide out there, uh, which is obviously our most popular product because there's a lot of scholarships for soaring in there. Uh, we don't have, amazingly enough, don't have the Soaring Society of America scholarships, but we're going to put those in there uh, once we get off this. So Shamrock right now, but look for other uh, of the coupons later on. But most importantly, if you're thinking about a career in aviation or anything in life, uh, if you're looking towards airport management, et cetera, make sure you do something today to move forward in your career. And I'd love to hear back from you as to what that is. What is that one thing you did today to move forward with your career? Well, we'll talk to you next episode. Safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved. 